as God's good providence would have it, most, many churches that follow a liturgical calendar, we arrive at this particular Sunday, and this particular Sunday is uh, Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday, as the word implies, falls 50 days after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And when we look at the promises that are associated with, with Pentecost, we go to John chapter 14. Because the disciples, they're, they're in a panic. Jesus has told them that he's going to leave. And when we get to Acts chapter 1, we'll see once again the reason for their panic and the reason for their distress. And so Jesus really speaks to their heart in John chapter 14. And we benefit from, like, we know the story. We know, we, we know the end of the story. And I think to benefit from the text is to step into the sh- shoes, really, of the early disciples who are simply wondering, what is next? Our hopes, the things that we thought Jesus would provide for us, like when, you know, who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit at the left hand and right hand of this conquering Messiah, and he's not that at all. He's a suffering servant who comes to be our substitute to die on the cross. But we know that story. But the application for us to kind of go there on the front end, the application for us is is we do know the story. And we do know the promises. And if we do know the story and we do know the promises, then we make an assessment of our life, right? Are we appropriating those promises, and if we're not, how, what's our default? And so that's kind of where we're going to get to. But look at the promise at first. John chapter 14, we're looking at verse 15 through 17, at least initially. Jesus writes this to this group of men, women too, men in the upper room, that are hanging on every word, Jesus writes this to them. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so this is directed at true disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's defined not by, uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know all my audience online, this is, might be offensive to some people, But a true disciple of Jesus is not defined by your church membership. A a true disciple of Jesus isn't like you found, uh, you know, I I found the right church, you know. Got the secret handshake. Got the certificate of membership that has, you know, gold imprint around it. I'm in, I'm good. And I got the pastor's cell phone number. It's not defined by that at all. It's defined by what Jesus 
says, if you love me, you will do what? You keep my commandments. And you can cross-reference that by going to 1 John 5, 1 through 4, which John in 1 John says the same thing. He says, the proof is that you love God and you love his people and you obey his commandments and get this. Great line. Matthew 11.30, another cross-reference. He said, if you love God and love his people and obey his commandments, and then this, his commandments are not burdensome because they produce, by the work of the Spirit, they produce life. And so to define who this is directed to, it's directed at the disciples, but also you and I. We love God. Love his people. Desire to obey him. And we found his commandments are not burdensome because they produce life and eternal life within our hearts. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And here's the promise. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another, L-O, A-L-L-O, transliterated, of the same kind. In other words, of the same nature, pointing to the nature and divinity of Christ and and underlying all of that is the Trinitarian nature and character of God. If you ever wanted to plumb the depths of something that is completely, at least it's beyond my capacity to understand it. He says, I'm going to send you another of the same kind, of the same nature, of the same character, so that as Jesus was saying, he's going to go, he's going to send another that will stand in the same, this is so wild, he's going to stand in the same relationship that Jesus has with the disciples. That's who Jesus is going to send. Text goes on. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, you can underline this, to be with you forever. Forever. And that's an important aspect of understanding this helper that Jesus is going to send. Jesus is not tentative towards those he calls. Jesus is not tentative towards those that receive him, confess him, repent of their sins, and turn to him and receive him as Lord and Savior. He's not tentative about it. And that has huge implications for our well-being in this world, our sense of what's right, our, our perspective towards life, our, 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 our mental health, it has, it has huge impacts on every layer of our life to understand that when you turn to Christ, Christ is not tentative towards you. He's decided to do something for you to give you a gift. Now let's look at the text again. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And you can forget it 
about the world understanding what it's all about because they're never going to understand what it's all about. They're going to look at you like you're a looney tune. It's in the Greek, Aramaic. Who is this helper? The parakletos. Literally, of the same nature of Jesus, same character, is, will, will come alongside you and often used as an advocate in a court setting to plead the case of the defendant that he's not guilty because the defendant stands before you covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and the defendant is justified Kaleo, justified, pronounced not guilty, not of their own worth or works or effort, but because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that that is who he will send to dwell within the believer. Now, when we go to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, you can see the fulfillment of that promise. Come there with me and see the dynamic and understand where I'm going with this. Where I'm going is, is that if this is the promise and this is the fulfillment, then where are we going to land? What, what do I do with that? It's my disposition towards that. Because that, well, I don't want to get too far ahead, but Acts chapter 1, it says, so... When they had come together, so Jesus has spent 40 days with the disciples, explaining things to them about the kingdom of God and, and giving them promises. And, and, and once again, we have all of that because we've read the book, the Upper Room Discourse. They don't get it yet. Look at the text. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is, they're talking to the risen Jesus. You know, the one that Thomas says, except I put my finger in, you know, and this is the guy they're talking to. And they're still confused. Well, I thought, and Jesus goes on. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. I can... I can you can almost see them. No! You say it's Pentecost, not Pentecostalism. Okay. Little jump. He was lifted high, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them, and angelic beings, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way 
as you saw him go into heaven. And that's really a great insight in for you and I living our life. To be about the kingdom, doing, speaking the words of Jesus, doing the deeds of Jesus, while we have yet light and time to be about his ministry. And then we come to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a muddy rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And because it was Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the pilgrims had come in. And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters. And the text goes on into today. And what we observe is the birth of the church. 3,000 come rushed into the kingdom, swept into the kingdom. And we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit And as we navigate Peter's ministry, each time he steps out to do Christ-exalting ministry deeds and words of Jesus, what happens to Peter? He's filled with the Spirit again and again, And again, because Peter has come to the place, the one that denied the Lord three times, the one that had learned to be strong in the flesh, the one that had learned to use his own resources, comes to the place where it is not by my might, nor by my power, but by the Spirit of God indwelling Peter, that he does the deeds of Christ and the words of Christ. And the application for us is, if this is, and we'll go back to the text and go through it again, 14. But if that's the promise, and this is the fulfillment, and that's the model, we come to Christ and he seals us with his Holy Spirit. He comes and abides in us, and as we step out in faith 
to do the words and the deeds of Jesus. He empowers us again and again and again to do ministry. In my own life, uh, I wish it was that. I wish it was that so. I wish. I found myself in August of 2012, dry, just obedient, but just kind of going through the motions. Study God's word, come up and teach it in faith, but dry, weary. My own daughter-in-law, Danny, goes to me, you need some help. (laughs) And so I'm up on vacation in Alton Bay, and, you know, as an obedient pastor, where should a pastor be on Sunday morning? Some of you are unsure about the answer to that. (laughs) So I go to church on Sunday morning, and they have a missionary preaching. I can't recall what country he's from. But, but the guy is like, like laying into us. There's probably a couple hundred people there. And he ends his, he, it, 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 it's ridiculous, but he ends his teaching by saying, if you're dry, <laughs> like, like, come on, you know, come on, come on, time to go to the beach. If you're dry, if you're just going through the motions, if you haven't, you know, sense the power of God in your life. And I'm like, oh, give me a break. Come on, end it. And, uh, but he just keeps on going. It's like, the, you know, the endless Billy Graham invitation. We will not cheapen this moment. We will wait for every hand, every head. And just go on forever. And, and, and then finally... Like, I don't hear voices, just, so just take a deep breath. He doesn't hear voices. <laughs> but in my heart, I heard this. If you can't, if you can't respond, how can you lead a people to follow me? And I was like, ooh, I hate that conviction. Convicted. But I, I, I wasn't about to walk the aisle. Dead man walking. And he kept on going. And finally in my heart I said, okay, Lord, here we go. And I got up out of my seat and started walking down the aisle. And every head went like this. And I knew what they were saying. What sin is in that pastor's heart? He must be an adulterer. Yeah, sinner. And so I get up to the altar, and no one wants to pray for me. It's like I have the plague. And finally, the preacher comes down, because they all know me. Oh, I, forgot, I forgot to put that in the, in the story. They all know who I am, you know? Who are you? And finally, the preacher comes up to me and he goes, 
brother, puts his hand on my shoulder, brother, what's the matter? And I said, I am dry, and I need Jesus. And he just said, praise the Lord. You could just feel the relief coming out of him. It wasn't sin. That remains to be seen, huh? And he prayed for me, and God began to work in my heart and restore me. And it took a few years to get there. And the disconnect that we have as believers in Christ is that we know the promise. We know the fulfillment. Most of us have walked in that place, at least when we initially became born again. We know that freedom. We know that closeness of God. And yet, it eludes us. And the model of Peter is the remedy. Lord, save me. Yes, God does. Seals us. Sends his spirit to dwell in our heart forever. And each time we step out, as Peter's model is, fills us so that we can accomplish the mission of spreading the gospel as God directs and as God empowers. And Jesus of Nazareth walked in this little tiny country, but when the Spirit came, the flame of the gospel spread throughout the whole world. What would my life look like if I could walk in that every day? What would your life look like? Imagine, imagine, imagine what a church would look like. Whoa! Come back to John 14. We'll finish it off, huh? To know who this other is To know him. Verses 18 through 21. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We, the disciples, the, you and I, will, we, we will not be fatherless. We will not be without resources. We will not be abandoned. In ministry, over the last 40 years, it's a core fear. And I'd say everyone, that might be stretching it, but it's a core fear that, that, oh, will I be loved enough? Will I be cared for enough? Whether you're, you're a young boy, young girl in junior high school, saying, will, will they accept me? Or, or whether you're on the other side saying, as a frail, elderly person, will there someone be there for me? Will someone care for me when I can't care for myself? And God says, I'm never, never going to leave you.
Never. Forever. This life, the next life. Neither life, Romans 8, neither life, nor death, nor anything. Present, future, things to come. Nothing will ever remove you from the love of God that's found in Christ. There's always one Baptist here. (laughs) And that brings us just a tremendous amount of confidence and courage to trust God and obey Him and live for Him. And it's the place where we receive all that we need, this side of heaven, and the promise that he'll get us on the other side. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believed in God, believed also in me. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you, but I've gone before you to prepare a place for you. Right? Back to the text. I will not leave you as often as I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me speaking of the post-resurrection appearances which we find fulfillment. In that day, I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. You're going to know that. And then he comes back and reiterates in 15, verse 15, that love is the basis of a relationship with God. And that love is manifested in an obedience to the revealed will of God, which the Holy Spirit is working in our life to sanctify us and to bring us to, more, to be more like Christ. Last two verses, 22 and 24. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And it's the same confusion that we see demonstrated in Acts chapter 1, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? So they don't, we just have to come to grips with that. They haven't all, they don't have it all figured out. We've read the story, so we, we intellectually at a place like, oh, I know that, I've, I've, I've been there, I've done that. And we dismiss our current need for an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. There was this commercial put out Years ago, I wish I had it put it up here. And uh, this electrician is working on a on a house service. You know what I mean by that? You know, the, the the electricity comes in your house. There's a cable that goes down. There's a meter, you know. And this electrician's working on the house thing, except he forgets to disconnect the power from the line. And so he's working away, and then, boom. And the guy goes flying, flying into like a, I think it's a barn. Goes flying and gets impaled in the barn. And then someone walks up and goes, you need some help. He goes, no, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) That's my life. Oh, I'm dying. Do you need some help, Pastor? Oh, Oh, no, I got my program. I'm good. Right? And, and the call to our life. It's coming. It's in 15. It says, I am the vine. 
You are the branches. The branch's job is not to like, I'm going to make life. No. Branch's job is to simply get life from the vine. And that's the Christian walk. Is to have intimacy with Christ. To draw our life from his life. And let the Spirit of God have his way in our hearts so that we become more like Jesus. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table today.